Welcome to Foundations of Emo, hosted by Claire and Danny. Each episode, we take one of our favourite bands and dive deep into their history and origins, reminiscing on our own emo roots along the way. Hello! Yay! We are here, and many things have happened Many, since. many things have happened. <laughs> we're late recording this, so we're actually recording a double episode today, so if we don't have like lots of really new and exciting things to talk about in the next episode, that's why. <laughs> because we've said them all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save some of it. So we're here today to talk about Census Fail, yes! but before that, I think Claire needs to catch us up on everything that happened at Slam Dunk. Yes, so I went to Slam Dunk, I can't believe it was a week ago, it's only thinking that this morning... Like this time last week, I traveled to Leeds and it does not seem like that long ago. Weather was fab. It was great. So I went on the Sunday to Slam Dunk North. It was lovely. We got in there for like 11 to see the first bands play. Bus went without a hitch. It was grand. We had a shuttle bus, got there. So weird going through security. Like I feel like because it was so early, it was that time of day where they're like, let's put lots of time and effort to make sure nobody's carrying a bazooka into the festival. (laughs) And like they took all our food off us. Which I found really weird because it was all like sealed. And then they were like, they sniffed Ryan's wallet and everything. It was so <laughs> weird. It was like, what are you sniffing it for? Like, do you think there's going to be some coke hiding in there? Marijuana. Yeah. And then it, I had safety pins and your man took them out and was like, what are these for? And his supervisor was like, unless she has a viable reason for having them, she can't take them in. And I was like, they're here to hold my dress up. <laughs> he goes that's a viable reason then he gave him back to me and was like just don't stab anyone with them it's like okay i'll try that was my top secret plan yeah, I was gonna no. bring safety pins into a festival and just stab random people so the first band we went to see was the tyne who are like a young-ish kind of band they were playing on um one of the stages which i feel like was all the same kind of vibe it was all kind of youngish kind of up-and-coming bands they're really good then i see hawthorne heights because when are you ever going to see Hawthorne Heights again? And I was devastated because the tent was so packed that I had to stand outside for it. And all I wanted to do was be in the middle of it singing Ohio is for lovers. And crying. And crying. <laughs> and I wasn't. And I just feel like that was such a missed opportunity. True. But you never know. Maybe they'll come back. They seem to have a big crowd. So other bands I saw then. I saw Under Oath, Escape the Fate, Girlfriends. Obviously, The Offspring, Kids in Glass Houses, who I've never listened to. I've never listened to them either. And I don't know why, because listening to them, I was like, I really like this band. Why have I not listened to them before this? Because their album, I think, is like 20 years old today or something. Not today, (laughs) but this year. So they were playing, apparently they're doing like an anniversary tour where I think they're playing the full album, which everyone seems to do these days. Um, No complaints. I love when this happens. (laughs) So, I mean, the festival itself was grand. All the bands were great. However, the slating the festival got on Instagram and other social media afterwards because it was 100% oversold. Had to be. I've never seen that many people in that small space in my life. And even if it wasn't oversold, it was just so poorly laid out. Like people were literally on top of each other. Mm. One of my friends queued for an hour and a half for food. And like when it's a one day festival, you don't want to be queuing for an hour and a half just to get some food. And even with the way all the like food vendors were laid out, all the queues were kind of on top of each other. So you just lost track of what was what. Um, usual situation with the toilets. But I did see on Instagram that some people were like, it genuinely felt unsafe at some times when they're at certain stages. Because it did kind of feel like some of the bands were too big for the tents they put them in. Mm. Like there was a lot of people having to be outside and stuff. And people were like, you could end up with a crush situation if you do this in future. So that would be my, I don't know if I'd go back because of that. 
Like yeah. the bands were great, but I just don't know if I'd go back because it was so badly organized and it felt like you just like missed out on a lot of stuff because of the bad organization yeah like I had serious FOMO because you were there and so many people that I follow on Instagram were there and I was just like oh I'd give anything to be there right now and then all I heard was like all the bad stories and I was like oh maybe, maybe yeah, I'm not that yeah. sad about it <laughs> it doesn't no, sound great like it was it was good and it was great to see some of the bands that I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise but it just felt like there was a bit of a like downer on it because of that yeah so yeah, next year might aim for a different one Rather than slam dunk. Yeah, I definitely want to go to the festival next year, but I'm kind of open to see some lineups and then yeah, decide yeah, exactly, which yeah. would be worth going to. Yeah. Are you ready to start? Yes, I'm ready to start. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Census fail. I love census fail. <clears throat> to me, census fail is you. Like, that's I all am. I know about census fail. <laughs> you are census fail. <laughs> Just that they always make me think of you when I first met you. You were like, census fail, census fail. And I was like, okay. I'm I, know, I feel like they never really took off in the Irish scene, but maybe that was just me. I like to think I was unique in that I was the only one who knew they existed, but maybe not. Okay, so are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. So the way Census Fail started depends on what sources you read. Some say Buddy Nielsen started the band back in 2001 when he posted an ad on the internet looking to recruit members. And through this ad, he met Garrett Zablocki and the two began writing songs together. Garrett knew Dave Miller and asked him to join the band. And in turn, Dave brought along his friend James Gill, who played drums. Other sources say it was actually Garrett who posted the ad and Buddy responded to it, but regardless, they met when one of them posted an ad and the other one responded. They then came across the final band member, Dan Trapp, who was only 14 years old at the time. Hello, baby. And this became the original lineup. However, just before the band signed to Drive to Records, James was kicked out of the band. Already, we're starting off with a, a lineup change due to irreconcilable differences, and he was replaced by former Tokyo Rose drummer Mike Glita. So the name Census Fail, which I never knew. Until I did this. Fake fan. I know. <laughs> it's all about the music. I don't need to know about their their concepts. So the name Census Fail came from the concept in Hinduism, which Buddy explained once saying that in Hinduism, the only way to reach nirvana is to have no attachments to anything. So people go out into nature and they don't eat or drink. They just meditate because they've reached such a high level. They don't need love or relationships or anything else. And if you want to reach the highest level of being and see God, you have to have all of your senses fail. Okay, that's, that is a lot to unpack. <laughs> oh, if there's anything about Census Fail and Buddy Nielsen, he likes to delve deep. Yeah, I'm getting that vibe already and we've only just started. Everything has a concept. The band began to build a local fan base by playing any gigs they could, including churches and skate parks, and soon entered the studio to begin recording their first release, From the Depths of Dreams. So This EP was originally released through ECA Records in 2002, so just after a year after they got together. Hmm. Only 300 copies were released, yeah. but it gained the attention of some other record labels and they signed to Drive Through Records who reissued the album in 2003 with new artwork and two additional tracks. All lyrics were written by Buddy Nielsen. It peaked at 144 on the US Billboard 200 and the band toured as a support act for the bands such as The Used and Finch. Yeah. All comes full circle. Oh, yeah. Every album or every episode like twitches on another episode that yeah. we've done. So after the success of their first release, Census Fail began working on their debut full-length studio album, Let It Unfold You, I Love This Album, (laughs) in April 2003. So for context, Buddy was only around 18 years old at the time. So successful. They also moved from Drive Through Records to Vagrant Records. Buddy took inspiration for the lyrics from various different sources, including poets and mythology. And the song of Irony of Dying on Your Birthday is about the work of a mythologist, and the album's title comes from a poem written by Charles Bukowski. 
Okay. Irony of Dog and Your Birthday was the first song I heard from them. I think it was on one of those Kerrang CDs, which mm. is where we seem to have discovered all our bands. <laughs> yeah. But I absolutely loved it. That was, I remember back in the day when you made me listen to them. <laughs> that was my favourite Census Fail song. Yeah. But I also feel like it's probably not a very typical Census Fail song. Do you think? There's a lot more, I think, screaming in it than the rest of the songs on the album. So it was kind of like maybe a false kind of introduction to them, mm. but I still love them. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy said at the time that he felt the band had so much to say and just love making music. However, if it ended tomorrow, they've gotten 10 times further than they ever expected. And so regardless, they feel like they have succeeded. That's just like us with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we've succeeded already. Just uh, know how well we've done. Yeah, exactly. We'll keep going. <laughs> so Let It Unfold You was released in 2004 and was certified gold. And I love, love, love this album yeah. so much. They're one of those bands where the lyrics are what draws me to them. They're not like necessarily really clever, like Taking Back Sun or Fallout Boy, but I think it's the concepts they're talking about, the way they say things is different. And like Buddy, so like even when you listen to him on podcasts and stuff, he's so deep. I'd say kind of exhausting in real life, but, <laughs> but for the sake of lyrics, I think it works. I love this album as well. To be fair, like this is the first album that I've heard from them, and I love every song. It's a such a good album, such a good album, and they have some of those long titles going on there as mm. well. Angela Baker and my obsession with fire so some critics commented on Buddy's screaming vocals in this which I understand because I think he's probably more suited to the non-screaming but I don't find it as irritating as some critics seem to find it so there were two singles released from this album Buried Alive and Rum is for Drinking Not Burning and the video for Buried Alive was actually shot by Buddy's mother aww isn't that so cute that is cute I know the video started gaining the mainstream success and this is where they started to feature in Kerrang and Alternative Press they also toured extensively with this album, including playing Warp Tour and Taste of Chaos, and played a small headline tour of their own. They also re-released the album in 2005 with bonus tracks, including a cover of the Suicidal Tendencies song Institutionalized, which I distinctly remember playing on repeat in my room. I'm sure my parents were thinking, what the hell is wrong with her? That you need to be institutionalized, would you yeah. say? <laughs> but like, that song is just like a... Definitely convinced my mother was outside my room with some days going, what is going on? I actually forgot about that cover, but yeah. I know that I knew it back in the day, but I didn't listen to it this time around. Yeah, I didn't listen to it this time around either. So in 2005, the band announced on their website that Dave, the guitarist, was leaving through mutual agreement, and he was replaced by Heath Saracino of the band Midtown. So the band's second studio album, Still Searching, was released in 2006. Apparently they had enough material written for it just a month after the release of Let It Unfold You. Which is... Okay. <laughs> so like, They must have written it all at the same time, no? Yeah, who was it? Was it the used we were talking about where they literally had like 40 songs and they cut it down Yeah, to that's it. what I was yeah, thinking yeah. of. So it must have been that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how things work. Yeah. So when he's joined the band, they spent several months writing more and demoing songs. The album is a concept album, so it follows a character throughout the album as they deal with different things like faith heartbreak and depression. Buddy, who was struggling with his mental health at the time, stopped taking his antidepressants and started having anxiety attacks while writing this album. On purpose? I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought he was like, I want to really feel something to write this album. I'm going to stop taking my antidepressants. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I never really thought about that. I just assumed. Maybe he just stopped taking them because he didn't like them. Maybe not to feel something. Okay. <laughs> I thought he thought it would make the album sound better if it was like more authentic. <laughs> So to distract himself, the band went on tour, which if you're having anxiety attacks, I feel like maybe going on tour isn't maybe take the best it idea, easy. but sure look. 
So ultimately, this didn't work. And he was prescribed anxiety medication, which, although it helped the anxiety, he said it left him feeling unable to be excited about anything. See, that's what I thought. Maybe he was feeling like that, and then he wants to be able to feel things to write the album. He began thinking a lot about his goals and his regrets in life, and they began his inspiration for the lyrics in the album. So this album has less screaming vocals than the band's previous releases, but still feels a very similar sound-wise. Heath described the songs as ranging from 90s alternative rock to metal to cock rock. <laughs> I've never heard of that. You've never heard of that? No. <laughs> cock rock is that, it's kind of like, like Motley Crue and like, like It's real. like male aggressiveness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that something you describe your music as? Yeah, I don't know if that's something that you aim for. Yeah. Maybe back in the day. Just do an album, just pure cock rock, guys. But definitely not. Cock from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> So there was a lot of praise for Heath on this album from both band members and critics, saying he added an extra depth to the band and helped them mature. This album has the band's first instrumental song, Negative Space, which leads into The Priest and the Matador, and in 2007 the band actually held a contest for a fan to write a storyline for a music video for this song. Why okay. didn't I enter that? That's, that's what I want now. Strange, but okay. That's I don't know what the video was. What do you think of that album? I love that album. I need to check my notes because I can't remember. <laughs> What do you mean you can't remember? Because there's so many albums and I listen to them all, so I had to take notes. I really like this album. I think this is still very much Sense It's Fail. Very much follows on from Let It Unfold You. Definitely one you can sing along to. Yeah, there was there was less raw screaming on yeah. this. That's what I found. But they were kind of like catchy, like emo bops. Yeah, yeah. And I said, it sounds like way more produced. It's not as raw as the first two. Yeah. It's, it's like a lot cleaner, the sound. And then I just said that song Negative Space when it started I was on the bus and I was like is this a fucking Christmas song because there's like these <laughs> little bells in it and I was like what the fuck is this? <laughs> but a good album overall I like this one. I do think that song The Priest and Madure obviously is quite depressing. Just about himself throwing himself off a building. Yes actually. Now that we think that about stood it. out to me when I was listening to the album I was like what am I listening yeah. to? This is a lot. And it, to end with that is very like oh. Okay, and then he on died. to the next. <laughs> so in 2007, Mike Gilta left the band by mutual agreement, and the band also revealed they had started work on their next album with Jason Black from Hot Water Music filling in for him on bass. When you said you were going to do Census Fail, and I had to look up their entire back catalogue and listen to it, I was like, they have so many albums, and now hearing this, I'm like, well, no wonder they never stopped Literally, releasing. Yeah, albums. and it's only when you go back and see it all in like chronological order, you're like, that was that soon after the other one. Like, it yeah. felt like there was like years between them when they were released obviously not so before jason black came along a guy called brendan brown was planning on joining census failed and he lived close by and could join them for practice whenever however he was apparently unable to join when he had a kid so buddy contacted jason black instead okay i love that it's mr brown or mr black (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even think of that I've been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss books lately because oh. of my child, not just like for my pleasure. And there is like uh, some little story about Mr. Brown and Mr. Black. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I think that's why it stood out to me. It must be and ultimately Black won over. So the band's third studio album, Life is Not a Waiting Room, which was released in 2008, had equally uplifting themes of heartbreak and alcoholism. The title is from another Charles Bukowski poem. So while playing a show in Dallas, Texas, uh, Buddy met a terminally ill fan named Marcel and he credited him with helping him get through his depression and opened his eyes to some hard truths about the reality of the human condition. So the songs Four Years and Yellow Angels are inspired by him. 
I found this album, I immediately was like, this is just all about addiction. Like the entire yep. album is like, I'm drinking, yep. I'm addicted, I'm an yep, addict, yep, yep. I'm drinking. And I was just like, okay, I get it. Like not every song has to be about it. Yeah, I understand that's where you're coming from. And as I said, I don't know anything about like Census Veil personally or like any of their lives, but I was like, okay, well, he's an addiction. <laughs> yeah, it's very obvious from listening to the lyrics that he has an addiction. And it's probably when you think about it compared to the other like Still Searching was obviously a concept album. Mm. This is just very personal. Like you said, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Like every song. Like I'm sure it's inspirational for some songs. Yeah. But like I just felt like the whole thing. I was like, come on, another one. Yeah. And then I did just say the one lyric that stood out to me on the whole album was like, your past can't be your passion. And I was like, well, you've obviously never heard our podcast because that's <laughs> like the entire premise of it. <laughs> You are wrong, buddy. <laughs> your past can be your passion. Live in the bitch. past. <laughs> I do like this album, but I know exactly what you mean. It it gets a bit like tedious or something. Yeah. I'd still listen to it, but I probably wouldn't be the one I picked you listen to. Yeah, I also found like there was a load of mixed different genres on it. Like there was loads going on. Like there was yeah. like heart screaming and then it was like completely different on the next song. And I was like, what? what is this? What's going on? Yeah, well, that's Heath and is, you know, adding the multi-layers apparently. Mm. But speaking of Heath, the band played numerous tours in 2008 and 2009, including Warp Tour. And when this concluded, Heath announced his departure. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so I was listening to a podcast where a buddy was asked about the revolving door of band members, which I think to be fair, compared to some of the bands we've covered, I really don't think it's that bad. But he explained Heath's departure at least as kind of the band basically peaking and still searching and everything was exciting and seemed to be taking off. And then Life is Not a Waiting Room was released a week after the financial market crashing in 2008, which affected the music industry and everyone started shifting to thinking, oh, this is all going to fall apart. And Heath, for example, had already kind of gone through that with his old band Midtown. And so he made the decision that he had to leave the music industry and find a different career. Which I never really thought about like the 2008 crash and like it affecting music. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it did because that's a business as well, but I've actually just never thought about that before. I mean, it makes sense. And they're probably all at an age where they're like, okay, it's either this for the rest of our life. And I think Buddy did say in one of the podcasts, he was like, you know, you kind of have to make a decision. I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. Probably will never be like super successful. Probably will just make enough money to keep going. But it's your passion. So it's a case of like choosing passion over yeah financial stability, I suppose. And also at this time, the band were actually involved in a legal battle with the guitarist that Heath replaced Dave Miller over royalties. This is always a recurring theme, always I feel. Always a recurring theme. You can't theme. just leave a band. You have to, like, fight them for money yeah. as well. So Heath was replaced by a chap called Zach, and the band released their fourth studio album, The Fire, in 2010. Love this album. Yeah. I thought I hated it until I went back and listened to it. I was like, no, wait, this is one of the ones I actually like. The second this album started, it was my first time ever listening to it, like, a week or two ago, and I was like, what is this? I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, interestingly enough... Zach doesn't actually feature on this album, and the other guitarist, Garrett, played all the guitar on it. So Zach was obviously hired after mm. this happened. So the fire comes from the idea that the band felt like they'd walk through tragedy, or the fire, and mm-hmm. come out the other side. <laughs> it was released in October 2010, and in January the following year, Garrett left the band. Yeah. So he reasoned at the time it was so he could go to college full-time, but in later years he admitted he felt burnt out and didn't want to be 30 and looking for an entry-level job. So there does seem to be this theme of them all being like, we need yeah. to go get jobs. But like they were quite big, like they're playing Warp Tour and things like that and like doing headline tours, weren't they? So yeah, 
They do all say that Still Searching was like their absolute peak and they never mm. got any bigger than that. I suppose, yeah. So I suppose it's two albums later and they're probably like... There was also this weird part in the podcast which I just couldn't really get my head around where Buddy kept saying they could have been Fallout Boy. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I think they meant though like... How big Fallout How Boy big were. they got, yeah. yeah. But it just didn't happen obviously. So they continued to tour throughout 2011 and in 2012 released a greatest hits album like they all do. <laughs> At the end of 2012 they announced they had begun recording their fifth studio album, Renacer, which was planned for release the following spring. Apparently they had an electric drum kit set up on their tour bus during Warp Tour and took turns jamming each day so they had a rough outline of the songs by the time the tour concluded. Again, just like constantly right now. Yeah, <laughs> you like, take like, a day off. That's what I was like. <laughs> you think when you're on tour, it's exhausting enough rather than being like, here, it's your turn. Go back there to the electric drum kit and write a song for us. Yeah. Like, what's the rush? Yeah, that it's, it is very rushed or something. It's just like, okay, keep banging them out. Keep yeah. banging them out. <laughs> so the title Renacer means to be reborn, which is the theme of the album, according to Buddy. And Mia Moore is actually sung mostly in Spanish because apparently they'd always wanted to do a song in Spanish. I have like some very basic Spanish. And when I heard this song, to me, it sounded like someone who had very basic Spanish writing a song. Because they were like, something, something, fuego, which is like fire. And then they were like, something, something, helado, which is like ice. And I was just like, okay, yeah, okay. I see where you're coming from. Gelato. But if, it just sounded like not someone whose first language was, well, I know yeah. it's not their first language, but it just felt like... I think he like did, if I tried to write a song in Spanish, it would be that basic. He did say something where he wrote it in English and just translated it line by line into Spanish. Probably not. Does so. it even make sense in Spanish? Yeah. A native Spanish person, tell us. Yeah, does this actually make any sense? <laughs> so a new phrase I learned while reading about this is sludge metal. Wow. Okay. Which is quote an extreme subgenre of heavy metal music. This album is heavier. Yeah. Because I actually. The first song, there's just like all screaming. And then the second song, you're halfway through the song before he starts singing. Yeah. And I was I was like, what, what am I expecting here? Like, I wasn't expecting it to be that heavy. The problem I had with this album, I found that I liked the heavy parts. Now, I really like like screaming and then singing and then screaming and singing. Mm-hmm. I like there to be a mix. I don't like just pure screaming all the time. Yeah. I like the, the break of the melody. I'm the same, yeah. But I didn't like the melodies on this album. Like, they didn't work or with the screaming or something that were. They sounded like two different songs. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But it just threw me. Like, every time I was like, okay, where's the melody? And then it came in and I was like, this isn't what I want. <laughs> yeah. This album and the next album, they've definitely switched genres. And I think they said they were trying to be more punk. Mm. Which, again, this is a reoccurring theme where bands are like, you know what? We've done this for five years. Let's completely change our sound and decide we want to be a punk band. Yeah. I think because emo kind of got uncool, so yeah. they were looking for something else and punk was probably the closest. Yeah. So I originally thought I didn't like this album, but listening to it now, I actually do like it. Again, it's not one I'd go back to and pick initially, but it's still not as bad as I thought it was when I listened to it the first time. Yeah, I didn't like this Maybe one. I'm just more mature. <laughs> <laughs> and so they did say it was the first album to explore heavier sounds like metalcore, but I do think, like you said, with the screaming and the non-screaming, there is some trademark census fail bits in there it's yeah just well the melodies like you can still you know it's buddy when yeah, you hear them yeah so following the release of this album they announced an anniversary tour for the 10th year of let it unfold you where they would be playing the album in full which again seems to be a thing that they all do stop complaining about it it's the best <laughs> well it's just because i never come to ireland and then dan trapp the drummer also left shortly after this announcement so i've completely lost track of who's in the band but i think they've all left now apart from buddy <laughs> This album and the next one are kind of a non-event for me, really. 
They signed to Pure Noise Records in 2014 and released Pull the Thorns from Your Heart in 2015. And while I don't necessarily like this album, it's interesting in that it was written in a period where Buddy had opened up about his struggles with substance abuse and also sex addiction. So prior to the release... (laughs) Prior to the release of this album, he had come out as queer on an episode of the podcast 100 Words or Less, which he admitted he had spent thousands on prostitutes, both male and transsexual, while both on tour and at home. And he also apparently drank every day for about nine years, due to feeling both depressed and ashamed, which again, like we said, you can probably tell from all the lyrics that he (laughs) was definitely an alcoholic. This is just the period of time where he was talking about all that. It's not actually the period of time where he went through all that. Mm. But this album is broken down into four parts, which are named after different concepts in Buddhism, which is the religion Buddhi most identifies with. Okay. Well, I suppose that's where they got the name from. So it's been... They got that from Hinduism. Oh, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, he's been trying different religions as well as different he's types of people. Yeah. <laughs> half of the tracks are about him coming out as queer, while the other half are about reaching a level of safety and reducing suffering. And the band wrote all the songs together except for three, which were written by Buddy alone. I didn't like this album. Nope, didn't like it at all. Mm-mm-mm. It's really weird. And then there's like a little talking part in the middle of it. Yeah. And then like there's a slow song. And something that I noticed when I listened to the first like couple of albums is there was a real lack of slow songs. And like, yeah. I didn't miss them, but I was like, God, has there been a slow song yet? Like, everything's like fast and upbeat and yeah. like a bop, like, but I don't know. I thought it was weird that there was no slow songs. And then they did a slow song in this and I was like, oh God, maybe that's they why, shouldn't. That's why, that's why. Never do it <laughs> did again. Did not like it at all. Yeah. And there was a few um, parts on the album that reminded me of Deftones, but like, not good. <laughs> it's like they were trying to be Deftones, to be Deftones but it yeah. wasn't working. Yeah, I just, wow, there's a big spider there. Christ. <laughs> No. Okay, you can stay over there. We'll name him Buddy. <laughs> uh, I would never listen to this album. Oh, I'll never listen to it no, again. No, I'll never listen to it again. I also didn't pick up on any of the like coming out themes, but I didn't know about that either. So maybe I'd hear it yeah, if I listened yeah. back. I, yeah, it's probably different that he wasn't like, I'm coming out <laughs> as queer. <laughs> While touring with this album, both guitarists Zach Roach and Matt Smith left the band to be at home and focus on family, which left the future of the band uncertain. In 2017, Buddy announced he'd actually formed a new band, which I knew nothing about. Okay. The band was called Speak the Truth. Dot, Never heard dot. of them. No, hang on, I hadn't finished. Oh, sorry. It's called Speak the Truth, dot, dot, even if your voice shakes. That's a terrible name for a band. <laughs> have you still not heard of them? No, I still haven't oh, heard of them. Oh, wait, yeah, I have heard of that one. And features three former members of the band Finch. Okay. So essentially, it's just Finch 2.0. I feel like it's a an okay name for a song or like maybe even an album but like it's way too long for a band name it's the buddy everyone's gonna call you speak the truth for a start no one's gonna call you even if your voice shakes like i don't know i feel like it should be in brackets yeah (laughs) they released one album which i did not listen to i did intend to go back and listen to it for this but didn't get that far so if anyone has listened to it let us know what it's like (laughs) census fail then took a while to regroup and decide what they wanted to do for their future but they ultimately decided they wanted to stay together and in 2017 they released an acoustic ep called in your absence i did not listen to that (laughs) did not listen to it either i had so many albums to listen to i couldn't listen to that as well but like we were saying this between listening to songs for all the gigs that we have coming up and then try to listen to stuff for the podcast. You just have to skip these bits in between, really, yeah. don't you? And also, I really can't imagine an acoustic version of these songs would sound too good. Mm. But maybe we're wrong. <laughs> so that same year, they entered the studio to begin recording their seventh album with... 
There's a team developing here. Bo Burchell, the guitarist from Seosin. <laughs> Hope he's not the one who was from the U's. No, that was a different guy, wasn't it? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so the album, again, was written entirely by Buddy Nielsen and was called If There Is Light, It Will Find You. Not sure how it could be any more personal than the rest of their albums, but Buddy said it's one of the most personal he has ever written and reflects on himself and his wife's struggles of having a child and her being diagnosed with MS and almost dying while giving birth. Yeah, I picked up on those scenes in the album. I wanted to fucking hop out the bus window. Christ. <laughs> this is like... Like, it, when it started, I was like, oh, this is way more pop punk than, like, the last couple of albums. Like, yeah. it had a different sound. And then, Jesus. Then there was a song called Gold Jacket, Green Jacket that yeah, was, like, trying which... to be political, but it wasn't... Mm. It was, like, the most basic song I've ever heard in my life. It's like if I asked Indy, who was five years old, like, write a political song. You're like, the president is bad. Yeah. Oh. Like, it's just like... I don't know. I, I was really embarrassed listening to that song. Oh. I was like, surely you could say something a bit deeper or something like, you know, that hasn't been said before. And then, yeah, then it, there's that song Orlando. And what's it called? Orlando and a miscarriage. Oh, yeah. Like even the fucking name of it. I, like I saw it when I was flicking through the songs. And I was like, Christ, what's that going to be like? And yeah, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah, they had a documentary around this time as well where Tim and his wife basically being like, yeah, she basically died during childbirth. And there is a song... Say what you are. That's written hypothetically about his wife posthumously had she died in childbirth. Fuck me. <laughs> Sorry if I nearly died and that had like the most traumatic experience of my life where I was near death and then my fellow wants to imagine it actually happened and write a song about yeah, it. Yeah, when he was talking about this album, he said it just... I feel like the rest of the albums were also very like deep and thinking about different concepts, but he said it was this album that he really started like thinking about death and like... All that kind of yeah. jazz. This is another album that I'll never listen to again. It honestly was no, horrible. Not a event for me, really. There was some drummer changes for this album too, which I lost track of. But they ended up with the drummer from the band, The Colour Morale, following The Colour Morale's hiatus. Never heard of them. Have you not? No. <laughs> not listened to them, but I've definitely heard of them. It's also the weirdest, weirdest fact that I found out. The video for the song Elevator to the Gallows, what an uplifting name, Features all the members of the band going through various tasks to try and meet Demi Lovato. Because apparently they're all massive fans of her. I like Demi Lovato. <laughs> I'm not saying but, I like no, Demi it's Lovato. Weird. Yeah. But no, it's, it's just weird. nothing that I ever knew about. But apparently before they had tried to get her to acknowledge them on Twitter. And she didn't. But when they released this video then she like retweeted them. And it made their life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean there's nothing wrong with Demi Lovato. I just thought it was funny that they would be... Fans of hers. Yeah. But most people took this album as a move kind of back towards what made Senses Fail, Senses Fail. I disagree. Yeah, I would have disagreed as well. I thought this album was more... Not the album that I liked. Yeah. And finally, despite being announced in 2020, their most recent album, Hell Is In Your Head, was only released last year. Yeah. According to Buddy, the record kept being delayed due to COVID and also kept getting bumped. Adele, for example, had a massive vinyl order and that took priority. Okay. <laughs> I never knew that would affect yeah. other bands, but I guess there's only so many vinyl factories in the world. <laughs> so Hell is in Your Head follows the character from Still Searching. Oh, he's back, baby. After the events of the last song in the album, The Priest and the Manager, which is in the same key as the first song in this album. Okay, I do love shit like that. Yeah, even though I never <laughs> would have obviously put it together. So the album title was originally due to be called What the Thunder Said, Hell is in Your Head, but they decided to stick with the shorter title. Yeah, thank God. Say, <laughs> it took on your advice and we're like, do you know what? 
Not going to use a long one this time. It's based on the poem The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot and it's been praised by critics with many saying Bunyan's lyrics are so frank and honest they almost sound strange in song form as they're more like diary entries. I didn't really notice that. I didn't, but they, doesn't he talk about like polar bears or something on it? I don't know. I had kind of checked out by the time I was listening to this album. What? And then you had said to me, you were like, oh, this album, like they're back to their original. Like they sound like Sense Fail. This is a good album because the last two yeah, were so yeah, bad. Yeah. And I was listening to it and I was like, yeah, I see what you mean. But I was just like, I kind of just lost it with them at that stage. You're like, I'm so close to the end. Yeah. <laughs> it has been compared to the likes of The Used and Taken Back Sunday. Okay. And I do actually really like it. I feel like I'd need to give it another listen to be fair. Well, yeah. like I didn't hate it the way I hated the other two, but I wasn't like blown away. And probably you've gone through such a hard slog with the other two that by the time you get to this one, you're like, Ugh. it's like so close. I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. Come on. <laughs> and that is where we are at with the band since it's fell right now. That is chronological order of all the songs that they released. So obviously it's pretty clear that Senses Fail are a bit like Panic at the Disco in that the band is largely Buddy. Yeah. As he is the only consistent member. And the other members just sort of passed through. And one of the guitarists actually on their last album announced that he was going to be a part-time member so he could focus on his career in real estate. <laughs> okay. How can he be a part-time member as like, well? Like, I kind of feel like you can play guitar in a band as a hobby while working your full-time job. Like, we do this podcast while we also yeah, have jobs. Yeah. But, like, not if you're massive, like, senses <laughs> fell a really yeah, big band. Yeah, what's be like, oh, I'll just sell a house while I'm on tour? Or just, like, pick and choose. Like, oh, I'll go, go for that week on tour, but the next week I'm going back to work. I've got to book that off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my annual leave. Yeah. Thought I'd go a bit more into Buddy, seeing as there's no point talking about the rest of the members <laughs> because they're all irrelevant at this stage. Hmm. So Buddy was born in New York, but moved to New Jersey when he was young. His mom apparently decided it was not safe in New York because one time there stopped at traffic lights when Buddy was a child and somebody tried to open the car door to be like, oh, what a cute baby. I think it was like a junkie or something. Yeah. She was like, okay, we are moving. But New Jersey is kind of notoriously rough, so yeah. I don't know if that was a good move. <laughs> his parents divorced when he was five and he has said this had a profound impact on him. So when you listen to him talking in interviews and stuff, he's very wants to recognize that even though he found his life hard he's not trying to say it was harder than anybody else's or that it was absolutely awful he's always like i don't want it to sound like this i'm just saying i had yeah. a really hard time with it he was extremely close to his grandmother and when she passed away while he was touring with the still searching album he has said one of his biggest regrets is that he didn't go home to see her hmm. But he said he just couldn't deal with the grief and the still searching album is when he hit rock bottom in terms of his substance abuse and sex addiction so the band apparently called multiple meetings in which they discussed kicking him out during this time period because he was clearly abusing alcohol and his singing had gotten so bad. I don't know. <laughs> he could have written a song about his grandmother like Helena. He could have. <laughs> if he really loved her. <laughs> yeah, buddy, why didn't you Speaking do that? Speaking of another band from New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny that they said his singing had gotten so bad. Yeah. I never thought he had the greatest voice anyway. He has a very distinct voice. Yeah. I wouldn't be like he's an amazing singer by any standard, but like when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's Buddy Nelson. It's very nasally. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm quite nasally right now because I'm drinking Lemsip. But <laughs> he, I think when he sings, you can just tell it's not the most fine-tuned. Yeah. But he also tried to claim, which I don't know, is it a bit of an excuse, that when he was recording the earlier albums, obviously he was so young, he was only 18, and he said that his voice had changed as he matured, so it was harder for him to sing mm. those sorts of keys. Which I'm like, could have been all the alcohol abuse as well, but yeah, yeah. well, it's not helping. <laughs> so all of this basically led him into a deep cycle of shame and self-hatred, which was made worse by his struggle with his sexuality. 
So in that 100 Words or Less podcast, he said he always knew he wasn't straight, but he also knew he wasn't gay or bisexual. Because while he was sexually attracted to men, he had no desire to be in a committed relationship with a man and only wanted to do that with women. Which, as a, I suppose as a young person, I can imagine that's very difficult to be like, wait a second, I'm not gay, but I'm not straight, but I'm not bisexual. And I don't think, probably around the time when this was happening to him, there probably wasn't as many open discussions about this kind of thing, especially not in America. I was thinking about that because I feel like the emo scene, like there was that whole like boys kissing boys thing. And like, there was a lot of kind of like gender fluidity and like boys in skinny jeans. Like it was quite camp. Like not, I'm not saying they were all gay, but like it was very accepted that like boys kiss boys and like dress like girls. And like, it was all, so it's weird that he struggled so hard, like being in that scene, you think it would be easier but do you think there was, like, boys were kissing boys and stuff, but I think it was very much, oh, you're gay, you're straight, you're bisexual. Yeah. I don't think the whole concept of, like, fluidity, different pronouns probably came in. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. Um, he also suppressed... Happy his... Pride Month! Yeah, look at us! <laughs> this was beautifully timed. <laughs> I did this on purpose, guys. I did this on purpose. He also expressed his attraction to men because he was afraid no one would ever accept it. But when he met his wife Priscilla, she was the first woman he was honest with and she completely accepted it. That's how I knew she was the one. How would you feel about that now if your boyfriend turned around and was like, by the way, I like men? So I was actually, before seeing someone who exactly the same as that, was like sexually attracted to men and had had sex with men, but only wanted to be in a relationship with women. So it's like exactly the same way you read that age. I was like, oh, okay. I know someone like that. Is it Buddy? Yeah. I was briefly in a relationship with Buddy (laughs) Nelson. What? (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah, no. So like, it doesn't bother me. I think like it is weird because I feel like guys are a lot more accepting of like bisexual girls or like girls being with girls because they're like, heh, that's hot. But like, I know so many girls who are like, if my fella like touched another fella, that he'd be gay. Yeah. And like, that's homophobia. Like, that is actually homophobia. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose if you're like a very insecure person in a relationship, it would be very difficult because then you're like, oh, he's out with boys. Hello, Rupert. Hi, Rupert. You know, he's out with boys. He's out with girls. Like, he could be doing anybody. <laughs> that's but like, if you trust your partner, you trust them regardless. That's literally what I was about to say. That the only issue I would have with it is my own issue of insecurity. And I'd be like, fuck, now I have to compete with two genders. <laughs> my penis However will never be big enough. <laughs> However many genders there is, I'd be like, no. Yeah. But well, apart from that. If someone's with you, they're with you. So you just have to trust trust that that's they're gonna be with you and it doesn't matter who they're attracted to otherwise be true again happy pride month whoop, whoop. so all of this kind of makes sense and um, when you think about buddy's long-term beef with chris franzak the lead singer of the band attila who i have no idea who they are do you the name is familiar but i don't know them. i don't know them yeah but apparently he has a massive long time like long time beef with him they feuded since 2014 when Buddy took offence to Chris using a homophobic slur in his lyrics and on stage at the Vans Warp Tour. So Chris denied using the slurs in a homophobic way, which is not a thing. Like, if you're using the slurs, it's homophobic. Like, come on. <laughs> and four years later, Attila released a song called Call Out 2 in which he calls out Buddy by name. So it's all getting Saying very... Saying what? Like... Something... I can't remember the first line that it's like, fuck a Buddy Nielsen or something. It's just stupid. In an episode of the Alternative Press podcast I listened to, it's clear that the whole thing has really stuck with Buddy for many reasons. He didn't think anyone in the music scene had his back uh, when he called him out. 
And he has also said that when he came out as queer, he was surprised at kind of the lack of support he got from many people. The one band he did say supported him massively was Anti-Flag. Okay. Which is cute. He didn't think anyone in the rest of the music scene kind of had his back. And he was really, really angry in this podcast. And he was like, I'm going to punch him in the face. He was like, you know, I'm not about violence and all, but this is one of these times where I have to be violent. And he was talking about a passive, do you say passive queer movement? And he was like, I'm not into that. Like, I'm going to go punch him in the face because he's called me a, you know, homophobic slur and I'm not down with it. And, you know, sometimes to get respect, you have to do that. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if you're just like stooping. Yeah, <laughs> didn't really agree with it. But their feud was reignited again in 2020 because Chris apparently has an OnlyFans account in which he makes consensual porn. Okay. <laughs> uh, but he basically called him a scumbag for it, which led to a series of back and forth tweets between them, which were quite interesting because loads of people were saying... Well, why is Buddy shaming him for being a sex worker? Yeah, that's not good yeah. either. <laughs> but then I think Buddy's main point was all his videos is all these women dressing up as like, you know, French maids and things like that. Mm. And to him, it was very derogatory towards women. So I don't think it was the OnlyFans account. I think it was more the content. He was like, it's not really, it's very yeah. masculine. But the whole thing does sound very childish. I think it's so strange that someone in a metal band went on and started an OnlyFans where he's like literally doing porn. Like, Yeah, I can't remember the name of his OnlyFans account, but it was very funny. I haven't looked at it. But... <laughs> we'll look that up after this. <laughs> <laughs> but he also seems to make a habit of using his Twitter to call people out. In 2015, he posted an epic series of tweets where he said the music scene is full of dudes and bands trying to have sexual relationships with underage girls. And there's a lot of men who need to be educated because their actions are causing irreversible harm. Fair play. Yep. He was adamant he wasn't aiming it at anyone in particular and was just calling out what he sees regularly in the music business. So, fair play, but I'm glad you're not a pedo. (laughs) But the tweets are epic and they're very... Saying what is true, I think, when we think back to all the episodes we've done where it's all, this person's a pervert, this person's a pervert. Well, it's just like the fact that you have to say, well done, someone in this episode isn't a pedo. It's like, it says a lot. (laughs) Does. No one in the use was a pedo. Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of talking about how the younger people in the music scene, they need to like talk about it more and how it's not going to be like the older men that are in the kind of business side of it that are going to do it. So everyone else has to do it. Mm. But you just love to know where, like what made him sit down on Twitter that day and be like, <laughs> do you know what? Yeah, he must have heard something. I'm going to post these tweets, but I actually follow him on Instagram now. And he is very like that. Like It seems like his stream of, consciousness when you watch his videos and everything yeah yesterday he had one where he's in his garden being like i'm going to show you what's in my garden and his two kids are in the background and he's like here's a slide that was used once and is never used again he's like here's an easel that we never use and i was like okay so he obviously uses social media an awful lot to express his feelings and his thoughts so i suppose if you're at that level of social media where you're sharing every single thing about your day then like obviously if something just pisses you off you're going to Going around on social media. Yeah, yeah. and he's definitely not afraid to say it. I think he was talking about being in kind of, you know, those states in America where guns are Mm. the business. And he's like, you have to be very careful about what you say on stage because you don't want to turn it into a political kind of rant. But at the same time, he feels like if he's in these places, it's an opportunity for him to say things while he's there. But he's, he's very... You know, I'd say he just never switches off. Yeah, I'd say he's he's a lot of hard work to be around all the time. Always thinking about something. 
But I still love him for it. I, you know, I'd say he's exhausting, but I still love him. And that is my summary podcast episode on Census Fail. Whoop, whoop. Do you love them? I do. I, I really enjoyed listening to the like their first albums that I knew from years ago. But then I feel like The Fire, I think I'm going to go back and listen to that. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one. When did we see them? When was Taste of Chaos? I feel like that was, I want to say 2007? Yeah, that sticks in my head, 2007. So that would be like the Still Searching era. Because mm. they, on the lineup, they were definitely like the middle band. Yeah. They I remember you were really excited about them and I hadn't listened to them enough to appreciate them when I saw them. And that's the only time I've seen them. I also saw them in Voodoo Lounge. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I got one of their drumsticks from the drummer. Don't know where that is. And I also met Buddy Nielsen. Oh, my God. I didn't know this. Yes, I met him. But I said something really cringe. I can't remember what it was. Something where, like, next time will you play this song from this album or something really vomitastic. And he was like, yes, definitely Claire. Yeah, exactly he was like, yeah, said. yeah. Do you like that song? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're um, like, no, I hate it. That's why I asked you, you fucking Egypt. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that was the first gig I went to where I had to use my sister's fake ID. Oh. Well, sorry, my sister's ID. Not fake, but it was fake for me. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I feel like I don't talk about that enough that I met him, seeing as I love him so much. True. And then he has a tattoo saying, follow your bliss on his chest. And I did the Camino, side note, I'm not religious, for no religious reasons, reasons a few years ago. And we were walking through this random like Spanish field or something and somebody had graffitied on the wall. The full quote, which is follow your bliss and the universe will open doors for you where once there was only walls. And I was like, this is meant for me. <laughs> I'm meant to see this right now. It's senses fail and buddy calling out to me. But I don't know. <laughs> that's, yeah, I love them. That was your religious moment that was with senses fail. Yeah, yeah. That's, I found God on that Camino, but it was buddy that I found. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're getting deep over here. So- now, it was hard for me to pick a song to skip, but it was so easy for me to pick a song to repeat. Okay, which will we do first? Song to repeat. Okay. Arnie of Dying on Your Birthday, every time, every time. Love it so much. That was going to be mine because back in the day, that was definitely the song that I would repeat all the time by them. That was my favourite song. But this time around, listening to everything, the song on repeat is actually The Fire, which is the Ah. first song on The Fire album. And I started, there was a couple of songs I liked from that album and I knew one of them was going to be my song to repeat. New Year's Eve is the other one I really liked yeah. but then I listened to them both last night and I was like no no The Fire definitely The Fire and it's such a like good album opener as well yeah the second that came on I was like I like this album <laughs> it's a great yeah song to so be fair it's my song to repeat my song to skip I actually need to look up the title yeah, of it because I've forgotten I was just listening to it before you came it was on oh yeah okay so my song to skip is Carry the Weight I don't re- remember it like I'm pretty sure the first line is I used to want to die or something. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I just, no, 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 no. Not interested. It's from Pull the Thorns from Your Heart. Shocker. My song to skip is also from that album. It's My Fear of an Unlived Life. Oh, that also sounds <laughs> really uplifting. I can't even remember it, but I just remember just being all about like, oh, I'm so afraid I won't do anything with my life. And I was just like, oh, I hate it. But I also had a couple of other songs that I'd taken note of that could yeah. potentially be songs to skip because there were quite a few pretty bad songs. Most of them that I had as potentials for to, songs to skip were ones where like that, the lyrics, I'm like, I'm just a bit over this. I don't want to listen to Also it. Orlando and a miscarriage. Like, oh, <laughs> Christ. Unless you want to seriously go into a dark place. Like, don't listen to yeah, that song. Don't listen to that album. Yeah. Bad times, guys. Yeah. 
So what are you recording for your next one? And it's funny because I actually know this time. Yes, but spoiler. No, that's not. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, even though it's spoiled for you, the next episode is going to be on from first to last. I would never have thought of doing them. Why? Yeah. They were one of my big loves. I was obsessed with them for a while. Um, I just wasn't. We can talk about it in the next episode. But <laughs> my biggest thing about them is the fact that Sonny Moore is Skrillex. Yeah. <laughs> that is my recollection of From First to Last. They have some bangers. I can't wait to talk about it. So stay tuned in a few weeks for our next episode if you want to hear that. And in the meantime, follow us on social media. We are Foundations of Emo on TikTok and on Instagram and Foundations Emo on Twitter. And yeah, follow us there for more to find out what episodes are coming up next and watch stupid videos of us while we record this. And please tell me if you are a Census Fail fan because I feel like there's not many of us out there. (laughs) So somebody back me up on this and tell me how much you love them as much as I do. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.